Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Forgiving the unforgivable. In this podcast, Eckhart answers questions about a variety of concerns. A man experiences relentless anxiety and says meditation doesn't relieve his symptoms. Eckhart explains an overactive pain body is at the root of his troubles. He then shares the wisdom he gained through healing his own pain body. Another audience member asks if there are any transgressions which are unforgivable. Eckhart explains some violations may seem beyond acceptance, but our goal is not to try to forgive. He says, instead, forgiveness occurs naturally as we outgrow the limitations of our personality. Finally, a woman asks if it's necessary to forgive others who have wronged us in order to revolve spiritually. Eckhart shares the trauma he experienced from his abusive father and he explains how through spiritual growth, he was able to realize his father was a wounded man. Once Eckhart awakened to this fact, he says, forgiveness flowed. Just checking to see if everybody is still present. <laughs> I'll do just a few questions from them, streaming questions. Uh, Joseph asking, Hello Eckhart, every morning I awake with extreme feelings of anxiety. It is like a knot in my stomach area and it feels very uncomfortable. It is accompanied by fearful thoughts and emotions. I am able to observe it in my inner body. Nevertheless, it always continues and is getting stronger. I try to be present and feel my inner body, but this won't stop it. Mm. By the time I'm getting up, I feel drained of energy and I'm still anxious. What else can I do? Mm. So there's probably a, a pain body in you that is almost continuously active, whereas most pain bodies have periods of inactivity. You can hardly feel it or you can't feel it at all. And then periods when they become active and create drama either in your mind or in your life or both. This sometimes happens that a pain body is almost continuously active and particularly when he wakes up it seems he can feel it. Later on I assume during the day he gets distracted by other things and so the feeling of anxiety will still be there but will recede a little bit I assume. I can't ask him here, he's not here. But what to do with this extreme feeling of anxiety that comes, to many people it comes also in the middle of the night when they wake up. I used to have that in my 20s when I woke up often and can't sleep and in this horrible universe that seems everything seems alien and almost threatening. That kind of feeling is described by 
the writer and philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre in a novel he wrote called La Nausée, which is nausea, which is the feeling of the nausea of, of existence, of dread. So for Joseph, breathing, I would recommend a, definitely a breathing practice, but it will probably have to be more structured than what we are doing here. And I very rarely recommend specific practices, but intuitively I sense for Joseph to take up the practice of Qigong, Chinese Qigong practice, which is related to Tai Chi. Qigong in particular is to awaken the, the dormant energy in the body, and it involves both movement and breath. And it's a structured practice, find a good teacher, or we might be able to, to even online, I don't know. And it can awaken the inner body energy, the chi, as they call it. And it's a structured practice involving movement and breath. Whatever they do, it's... It, <laughs> The thing people people learn these things. They they learn, it's good to learn it, but originally the people who teach that, who originally taught it, did it intuitively, just in the way I did it just now. Intuitively, they go, and then you hold something, even manipulate energy. They go, they hold the energy here between the hands. And of course, in the movies, they, they, in the, some of these Chinese movies, they're the great masters, then they hold this ball of energy and they can throw it at you. Um, uh, <laughs> Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis, but Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. But Qigong does not free you from the ego. In fact, your ability to practice Qigong could also be incorporated into the ego. It could. But it is very, very helpful for some people. And in this case, I would, I would recommend that. Some Qigong practitioners actually developed a lot of uh, enormous qi, which in itself is not the deepest energy. Qi is halfway 
between the unmanifested and the manifested. She is also what you feel when you put your attention into the inner body. It's halfway between the manifested and the unmanifested. But some Qigong practitioners can actually, they can light, they can ignite paper with the energy that they project into their hands. But Joseph doesn't need to do that. Uh, 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 <laughs> Uh, the origin of Tai Chi, I feel very strongly also, uh, which is basically presence through movement. The origin of Tai Chi is, I've uh, convinced, uh, ancient masters began to move spontaneously as part of their feeling of aliveness and meditation practice, they began to a spontaneous kind of dance with energy, they were being moved by the energy and it was nice and flowing, flowing movement and they went all and the disciples were looking on and saying, what's he doing? And then the disciples started to write down, now he's lifting his left leg and now the right hand goes up and then gradually over time it became a system and that's fine but I believe it originated from spontaneous being moved spontaneously and intuitively it was a, a joyous dance with movement and it, but you can learn it so it, the, it works also as you learn it as a structured practice so that's my recommendation for a person who suffers from extreme anxiety. Jill from Delaware, hello. Ask, are there any past actions which are unforgivable? Also, have you had a major past regret that you've had to work through and how did you do it? You don't have to name the specific regret. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Well, yes, some major regrets, uh, yes. In the early days, I didn't take out the garbage. <laughs> and, and I don't know if I can forgive myself. My self-image has been shattered by this. <laughs> I thought I was an enlightened master. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that was a big one. And um, <clears throat> there are some things one does unconsciously. I don't, nothing really major in my life. A few things one is ashamed of, yes. I, in my youth, I did some weird things. Uh, uh, just because it's a funny story, I'll tell you just one little anecdote from my early years. <laughs> my first year in England, uh, I got a temporary job in Sussex working in an office for three months, a summer job. That was my first time in England and then towards the end of the, that period uh, I was g going to go back home at the time I was living in Spain with my dad 
And then there's a woman in that office who was going to go on vacation, and she said, why don't you stay another four weeks? You get a house set for me, my house. I said, oh, oh, that's great. Yeah, I'd like to stay another four weeks. I'll house it. I was 19. And it's a nice house, suburban house. And the pantry and the fridge was full of food, all kinds of food items. It was full. She liked, maybe she was an early prepper for pre- getting, <laughs> getting ready for the apocalypse. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, there was food cans of this and that and, and everything and the freezer and then there was wine in, in racks wine racks everywhere now my background was very very poor my dad was a dropout at the time in Spain had moved to Spain uh, at that time we had Nothing. We didn't have enough money to buy even a fridge in a hot country. No fridge, no television, no telephone, no radio, nothing. No hot water. Occasionally we had cold water. And so we went, always bought the minimum. We went out every day to the market looking for the cheapest vegetables and stuff to sell and brought it back. Had to be consumed because it would go off in the heat. Couldn't store anything anywhere, so and there I was, never not having experienced any abundance of food in this place, and in my ignorance, I believed that she had bought all this for me. <laughs> I could not imagine that anybody would store these things. I said, well, "What a kind person to get all this." Uh, and I used all these things during four weeks, including the wine. Which obviously she bought from me, of course, the wine. And fortunately, I had scheduled to fly home before she came back. But then later she called me and she said, I was so shocked when I arrived home. What did you do? And I said, oh, uh, oh, I didn't know. Uh, and then I said, well, you'll need to send me the, the, this amount of money. And then I worked hard, get some part-time jobs at the time. I was back in Spain for a while. And I, I had several jobs I was doing. I started work when I was 16 interpreting translation work mainly of restaurant menus and tour guide so I was already a guide at the age of 17 I was had started doing tour guides in buses guiding tourists anyway that's a long story so I worked extra hard so that I could pay back this woman so that she could restock her pantry and so on <laughs> and then for a long time I felt a bit ashamed but not anymore. I have let go of all this now, inclu- <laughs> including the garbage. So, and, uh, there are things in everybody's life. There may be something that I have repressed and I can't even remember. Who knows? But are there some things that are unforgivable that either, I suppose, to yourself or to others, it 
may appear that there are some dreadful things, but the nature of forgiveness is strange. Forgiveness isn't really something that you can really effectively do, although people try to do it. Forgiveness happens naturally when you reconnect with the essence of who you are that is beyond the personality. All this, the unconscious stuff is perpetrated by the conditioned personality, the conditioned mind that makes up the conditioned personality. And so when you go deep enough, and so you no longer derive your identity from the personality and whatever the personality has done, you can still recognize these were, this was bad. You may even make up, want to make up for something that the person did that you now recognize as bad. As I sent this woman the money that she had lost, and that was good. So that's fine. You may try to make up, but no longer deriving your identity from it. That is the main thing. Then when the identity is derived from that deeper place, then what we conventionally call forgiveness happens by itself. You don't need to do anything. Also, this applies to when something was done to you that is bad. At this deep level of, of presence, that is always pristine and is not affected by whatever happened to the person, no matter how bad it was. So bad things that happened to you, certain perpetrators did bad things to you, then how do you forgive them? Let's say even you might be injured by something that people did to you. It's very hard as an actual conscious decision that I must forgive. I don't know how deep that would go, probably not, not that deep, or it might give you a satisfying feeling of being a good person who is able to forgive. But if you go deep enough, you realize that the essence of who you are was never affected by that. It cannot be. Then you can easily forgive yourself, or rather it happens automatically, but you still recognize the badness of it. I saw an example of this um, quite a few years ago. There was a woman in Texas in, a pr in prison. She had been sentenced to death. I don't remember her name. It might be 15, 20 years ago. I don't know. She had done the most dreadful things. She was under the influence of drugs, and she had personally killed, with a, I think with a big knife, two people. She and her boyfriend had broken into a house and she had personally, under the influence of drugs or whatever, killed with a knife the most horrific murders. And she even enjoyed doing it. It's, they found some evidence later to talk to somebody and she said she enjoyed doing it. It was horrible. She was on death row for several years. And on death row, something happened to her. She went through a, I believe it was through Christian teachings, uh, but something happened to her and a shift, a complete shift happened and then later I saw an interview with her and I could see that she had 
touch the essence of her being and she knew that what, what she had done was terrible but there were, peace just emanated from her she had broken through and it was amazing to see it seems almost impossible how can a person who did that awaken to that but it happened to her and then at that time um, she, I think she applied she said I can do perhaps good things in prison uh, while I'm still alive so she applied for uh, instead of death sentence to, to be reduced to life sentence in prison but at that time the, at least the governor of Texas he said no and she got executed but what the amazing thing that I could see she knew that how bad that was that she had done and yet she did not carry the burden of it anymore the the essence was shining through that's a very rare case but it was amazing to see so this is something that seems totally unforgivable to yourself and yet it can happen at delta we know mike and hc prefers reality tv to reality so we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. So the, uh, ultimately, the, I believe there's nothing unforgivable. But the, the important thing for everybody to realize is forgiveness, true forgiveness happens as a natural consequence of connecting with the essence of who you are then it just happens ah anna from australia is a related question where the answer will be short because we've already been talking about it australia is probably tomorrow evening there or something like that not that it matters it's a present present moment there too uh, is it necessary to forgive others who we feel have wronged us in order to evolve? For example, should Ukrainians forgive Russia or an abused child forgive the abuser? Or is it enough to simply acknowledge the misdeed and move on? Is it necessary to forgive others who we feel have wronged us in order to evolve? Ukrainians, Russia, well, entire countries, that's a different matter. A country consists of millions of people, and I don't think every individual in a particular country necessarily carries the guilt, the collective guilt perpetrated by a certain section of that country. But individuals, is it necessary to forgive in order to evolve? Yes, that's, that is the case. If you carry any kind of grievance, uh, towards another person or a group of people that would prevent you from awakening to the essence of who you are that would become a little a little barrier towards that realization so it's important to let go of grievances and so on uh, so you go as deep as you can and then they dissolve by themselves if you can go deep enough but if you hold on to a grievance, you have to be ready to let go. If you hold on to it, it becomes part of your ego. So that's the danger. It's very hard to explain. Jesus said, when you go to temple and pray, before you go to temple, 
make sure that you forgive your brother because otherwise their prayer will not be very good. I had resentment towards my father for quite a long time until I awakened because my father had, I, uh, and was never punished physically, but that, so that is a good thing. But he was sometimes violent towards my mother and he was extremely prone to outbursts of extreme anger, which to me as a child felt like physical assault. Not even anger towards me, it was mostly towards my mother. But it filled the home and I could feel it like a physical assault on my being. So it's like um, an unexploded bomb. You live with an unexploded bomb, it could explode at any moment. And every continuous state of tension and anxiety, horrible. And then my dad, I loved him, but he had also a gigantic ego. I say that I hope he's not present right now here. (laughs) Two or three years after he passed away, I was with Kim in a, we had stopped in a restaurant on the way to California. We were driving, stopped in a restaurant for a meal. And I was talking about, I said, my dad had had a big ego. And the waiter had just, before I said he had put a carafe of water on the table with two glasses, as they do in restaurants. And the moment I said my dad had a big ego, the carafe of water burst. (laughs) Now, before I continue about that, I have to add, in the later stages of his life, my dad became partly enlightened and was still partly carrying the burden of a, of the heavy ego so it was a strange mixture in some areas of his life he was almost enlightened in other areas there was still enormous ego he became a hybrid creature interesting <laughs> but in his earlier life he was very the ego was so strong i realized later it is called narcissistic personality disorder which is an is an extreme form of of ego. And so uh, I had some resentment until the awakening came. And then for the first time I could meet my dad without any resentment. I was able to listen to him. He would not discuss anything with anybody. He was just kind of talking in a loud voice to, to tell you how things are. And you have to listen for a long, long time. This is how it is, and this is what they are. And these, and these politicians here, they don't know what you're doing. Okay. And I was just happy to just listen. Suddenly there was no resentment anymore. And that was the beginning of some changes coming to my dad. When I, there was no longer that resistance. There was an acceptance and then in some areas he began to change gradually. Never completely, but in some areas he changed. So yet some wisdom arose in him. In his next lifetime he will perhaps become totally enlightened. On his good side, his enlightened being, he accepted me always completely. Whatever I did was fine. You drop out of university, fine, it's fine. You do the right thing, it's good. My mom was different. Uh, So a complete acceptance and great. And he could wait. 
they say only masters can wait. They, they didn't become impatient. He could wait for hours for something. Or on the telephone, if he couldn't reach somebody on the telephone, he would pick up the phone every two minutes and dial the same number for an hour or two, but not get upset at all. Well, beginnings of enlightenment. The glass is still intact. That's a good sign. <clears throat> One more question from here. Lee from Sunnyvale, California. I believe I heard you mention several years ago that people trying to feel presence tended to fall into two categories. Those who felt presence while being more quiet and peaceful and those who felt presence with action or activity. Assuming I remember this correctly, I was wondering if you can expand on this. The reason I ask is that when I heard this statement, I immediately felt that I belonged in the second category. While I'm not athletic, I have definitely felt presence during some unusual activities such as driving on busy, fast-moving freeways. And even after watching particularly well-done action sequences in movies, Thank you. Well, certainly some people experience presence when they're engaged in fairly dangerous activities. That is a fact. And whether it's mountain climbing or even surfing, that's the big thing here in Hawaii. And I'm absolutely sure, I don't know if there are any surfers here, probably. When you are engaged in surfing, you're not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking. You are really absolutely, pre you have to be absolutely present. And if you lose it, then you, there you go. You, uh, one thought and you're gone. Surfing is wonderful. I wish I had learned that. It's too late now, of course. I probably. <laughs> Miracles are possible. But any dangerous activity that forces you into the present moment, and if you, if you lost presence, you would probably have an accident. So, but uh, engaging in it, I don't recommend, by the way, dangerous activity, so don't blame me. I don't recommend dangerous activity, especially not driving fast on the freeways, just to see if you can be present. <laughs> Surfing is relatively, it forces you into presence, but I suppose you could conceivably be injured or die but it's not quite as dangerous as climbing up the rock face or whatever people do so certain activities force you into presence some people you might have heard get addicted to what they call it adrenaline that comes I don't, don't see things from, from the physical perspective I very rarely mention these words but what they really mean yes adrenaline is a physical part of what happens what they feel in my terminology, what they feel is a heightened sense of aliveness. Because while they're engaged in these activities, they are free, free of themselves. They're free of thought. They're absolutely present. And that gives them this heightened, they feel really alive there in those moments. And so what happens then, they become almost addicted to that activity. They have to do it again and again because it's so wonderful. And again, they could learn that they do not have to. They've had experiences of presence, and that's a good thing. And then they could see if they can also 
if they come into contact with the spiritual teaching perhaps they're able to also enter presence without hanging on a rock face and almost falling off or endangering their life by driving too fast on the freeway. Certainly some sports people who engage in competitive sports experience presence through that, that is true. The important thing is presence eventually needs to come into your daily life rather than just being confined to one particular activity. But one can see with some sports people that they are they're very intensely alive when engaging in that. Although some people are even there are, have some ego that can come in, were probably, I don't know, during their performance or activity or just after or before, I don't know. And so that's that. Then another aspect of that is that some people become present when things go drastically wrong in their lives. They experience extreme loss, loss of home, loss of all possessions, loss of a loved one, loss of status in society. You become suddenly become noble to everybody who dislikes you because you sent out the wrong tweet. And, and from one day to the next you get cancelled. So your loss of identity, who am I? I got cancelled. To some people that is actually an extreme form of loss. It's surprising. <laughs> they get cancelled on Twitter and all these other things. And then they, their life is ruined, they think. And other people, they lose their possessions and they commit suicide because they lost all their possessions. <sighs> it's a famous thing in the, when there was big depression in the 30s. Many people in New York jumped out of the skyscrapers, commit suicide because they lost all their possessions. So, because their identity was in that and without that they were nothing. <laughs> but so th that can happen when you lose something, it can make you totally unconscious, you're already unconscious and th then you're even more unconscious. And it strengthens the ego, so the ego says there's no point in living anymore, I'm going to destroy myself as a last triumph of rebellion against this world, I'm going to commit suicide. Ah, there you are, I did it. Or I'm going to, you can't say I did it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> but other people, when they, they, a huge loss happens and then it leaves a, a huge hole in their existence, in their life, Perhaps the loss of a child is a dreadful thing. It's bad enough to lose a parent, but if it's the other way around, the loss of a child is a huge loss. It can be very, very painful. Or you, you're part of millions of people who lose, you become a refugee, lose everything, no home, you're, and there you're on the road to, to nobody knows where, you've left everything behind, nothing left. And there's a possibility of awakening to the essence of who you are and suddenly experience it. And it happens all the time, but only to a small percentage of those people who do experience these things. But the potential is always there. When everything that the ego had identified with is removed from you, you are left with nothing, your identity crumbles, the egoic identity cannot be sustained anymore because everything it, that gave, gave it sustenance has been taken away. And so in the absence of ego, suddenly 
that which had been hidden underneath the ego emerges. And that is called in Christian teaching the peace that passes all understanding. You can't figure out why you suddenly feel so peaceful when you lost everything. So that happens also. And that can happen to people who have never come into contact with any spiritual teaching. It just Then, of course, presence can also rise in the face of beauty when you are alone on a mountaintop. And, and these are usually moments that come and go that may not, may not last, but they, they are glimpses of presence. And that's beautiful, too. So, activities that are dangerous, yes. Deep loss, that can be a more lasting presence that arises through deep loss. It could destroy your ego permanently, and then you are permanently at peace. Even when your life goes back to normal, you would still have that essence. It would still be alive in you. Oh. And then there's another, is the voluntary embracing of presence, which is you, all of you. You've had enough suffering to have brought you here, so that's good. And you realize that you do not need awful, dreadful loss in order to enter presence because you voluntarily invite presence into your life. So you don't need for life to take everything away from you. But if it should do that, if it did that, then you would be really prepared and it would be immediately you would drop there you are. I'm always present. It's always in the background somewhere, this presence. That's great. When I was diagnosed with cancer in January this year, uh, which cancer means maybe you only have a few more months to live. You don't know when they first tell you that. You have cancer. Oh, maybe only a few more months to live. That's the mind. And immediately I dropped into very enormous, just only presence. There was nothing left but presence. It was amazing. I was looked around and I was sitting in my living room for hours. Just, there was no, the person didn't reappear or only, only occasionally a little, here's the person and gone again. The person, gone again. Uh, <laughs> And I don't know whether that had something to do with the fact that now, after an operation I had, uh, it doesn't seem, doesn't seem to be any more cancer in the body, at least for now. <clears throat> so that can, the possibility of imminent death can also be a wonderful deepening, because it really forces you into, into the present, if you're ready for it. You're all ready for it, so if it should happen to you, you'll be fine. <laughs> if you're not ready for it, it's very painful, very painful. But even then, it could happen that the shell of the ego cracks. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. At Delta, we know Mike and 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing.